0: Historically, the board's role had been focused on CEO succession, but what I think you see today is that it goes down a level or two into the organization, and the board's engaging with level one and two line organizations, not on a regular basis, but on a recurring basis, which allows there to be some uh, interaction for for those individuals to the board, but also for the board to assess the talent capabilities within the organization.
1: From McKinsey and Company, I'm Sean Brown and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. You just heard Steven Stern from our discussion on the changing role of the board of directors. He has decades of experience as a senior executive in the energy and chemicals industries, and he serves on the boards of DuPont and Cosmos Energy. We were also joined by Karen McLaughlin, a former CFO who's a longtime board director for Best Buy, among other companies, as well as Fritjof Lund, a senior partner in our Oslo office and the global leader of our board services practice. We gathered for this podcast in New York at a leadership and strategy event hosted by our strategy and corporate finance practice. Before we recorded our interview, Stephen, Karen, and Fritjof led a workshop on board leadership. We started the conversation with Fritchoff reflecting on the insights they shared in their session and what he heard from the attendees.
2: Yeah, I think it was a, a very engaged workshop. We covered uh, what are some of the main trends that we see related to the role of the board of directors, uh, how this has developed uh, developed over time, and I think what are some of the key questions that board directors and management teams are sort of struggling with currently, and especially in the current context, where uh, we believe being a board director uh, and also being a part of a management team is probably more complex and challenging than ever, with ever uh, uh, everlasting new challenges coming along, geopolitics uh, playing a role, uh, gen AI and digitization, uh, sustainability. There are new topics piling onto the board agenda almost uh, by the day.
1: So what has changed regarding the board's mandate and what it means to be a board director in 2023?
2: I think if you take very broad stroke, we have seen uh, a, a massive increase in the expectation to the board of directors in terms of how they engage on strategy, how they engage on investments, on M&A, performance management, risk, talent, organization.
0: And, you know, one of the things I would add is if you take into context the historical role of the board, none of that's gone away but the things you just mentioned are all additive to the role. And so the amount of engagement required by management and the board working together has gone up dramatically over the last several years, and it doesn't seem to be letting up. And so the role of a director today is very different than it was historically. The amount of engagement, the amount of time that's required to be spent, and the amount of collaboration with management has certainly increased.
3: I also think the challenges being faced by management teams today are quite different and very unique. Uh, Whether it was COVID or things that are happening now post-COVID, many of these management teams have never experienced this kind of trial and tribulation uh, as they've gone through over the last few years. And so having that very strong relationship with the board and using the board, leaning on the board more to help really be advisors and support the management team as they're trying to navigate their way through these things, I think has become more important.
2: And I think maybe building on that, uh, I think this whole notion of going from much more focus on compliance uh, uh, towards actually becoming a real sparring partner uh, to help the management team navigate the unknowns or the new areas where the management teams don't necessarily have the capabilities or the experience and getting impulses uh, from the board of directors and also catalyzing more change in the companies through the lens of the board, uh, I think that has become more important.
1: That's great. Karen, how are you seeing these dynamics play out on the boards that you're currently serving? Are there new issues that you're finding yourself dealing with or different ways of working with senior management?
3: I I think in a number of ways. I think about some of the geopolitical issues and, and some of the recent rulings by the Supreme Court around diversity and equality, for example, that is a very difficult topic that many boards are facing now and management teams are facing, which is how do I think about my DEI program now? Um, I was heading one direction, full steam, and I I still believe that's the right thing to do, but now I have this other uh, concern from a political perspective and, and how do I navigate through that? And so, you know, that's something that I suspect a lot of boards, I know my boards are certainly working on with their management teams that's an issue that perhaps we didn't think about in the past or have to face in the same same way that we do today.
0: And, you know, given the number of issues that we have to address today, I think the way that boards and management engage is changing. The frequency with which we need to interact with management has, has gone up. You know, no longer is it four board meetings a year with committees. It's gone to uh, inter-quarter board meetings, It's gone to special committees that handle special topics, like you were talking about diversity and inclusion. It could be a subcommittee of compensation, for example, that works with management on that. And so I think management and the board has to be open-minded to the way that they interact together in order to tackle this large agenda of new items.
2: I think it was interesting um, in the discussion right now with uh, the amount of experience in board directories interacting directly with management team members, uh, which we historically we primarily saw out maybe in private equity companies and less in publicly listed or different uh, type of of ownership structures. Now it seems to be becoming a bit the new norm, uh, at least on the the leading edge, uh, where uh, again, you get the board directors. You gain the uh, from the experience of the board directors directly into the management teams, and you pair up, for example, a, a seasoned CFO uh, on the board of directors with a younger CFO uh, in the management team, and you really get uh, that coaching role uh, from the board. Which, at least historically, if you go back ten years, we didn't observe that often.
3: No, I think that's very true, and and I. It can also, I think, be peer-to-peer. So CFO to CFO, for example, or even just a skill set. So an industry that a board member comes from or a certain background, helping uh, the management team with that that particular issue that they're facing. And as a board member, I find that very fulfilling. Um, You know, my role there is to help support the management team as well as obviously uh, support the shareholders and make sure that we're protecting uh, their rights as well. But I learn as much from my management teams as hopefully they're learning from me, but I find it's great to engage outside the boardroom and really get more in-depth into the topics that they're facing.
1: Thank you. In your earlier session, you talked about a quote-unquote catalyst board. Let's talk a little bit about what that really means, maybe unpack that a bit for our listeners. Uh,
2: uh, happy, Happy to start so, w- when we talk about catalyst sport, uh, we added that a couple of years ago on top of as uh, as Stephen is saying uh, cumulatively uh, to to uh, what uh, was done historically and is being done currently around being a value-enhancing sparring partner from the board of directors, We also think, in light of sustainability, continued digitization, AI, gen AI, that very often the board also needs to be a catalyst for more rapid change. The typical example is maybe an energy company or even an oil and gas company struggling with how they are going to manage the energy transition and some of the opportunities in the energy transition, typically the management team of a company will have grown up in that industry and they will have 20-30 years of experience there. And they're getting the capabilities on green hydrogen, uh, on-offshore wind, uh, 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 clean ammonia, other uh, uh, other sort of energy carriers or energy-producing methods, you typically would need to have that understanding uh, more in the board of directors in order to catalyze a a more rapid change uh, in, uh, in the energy example.
3: I think also, I think, as we were talking about in the meeting, the board giving the management team the confidence to make those changes and to, to make those pivots. Um, you know oftentimes the CEO, if it's a public company is stuck between what short-term investors might want versus what the long-term uh, opportunities are for the organization and I find the board playing a much bigger role there and really trying to help give that confidence, make those hard decisions, having to make those trade-offs for the longer term benefit of the company. and I really think that's a big change in how the role the boor, role of the board. Uh, Has evolved.
1: You also talked about the importance of making sure that the board has enough information to substantively advise on strategies and big moves. Richoff, can you tell us a little more about that?
2: I I think we had an interesting discussion in terms of how do you prepare uh, with all these topics on the board agenda? How do you prepare well for the board discussions? How do you avoid either having to little information that you only get you know a 10-page memo and you're supposed to to have a perspective on, on the strategy or uh, complicated uh, strategic questions uh, versus sometimes being overloaded and getting 600 pages before a board meeting and uh, and being supposed to have a point of view on that and i think it both of you had good examples in terms of how do you how do you uh, sort of strike a balance where you you bridge the information Gap, but you don't get overloaded or uh, sort of getting too little information.
0: Yeah, I think that the actually the preparation of the board materials is such a critical step in helping make the efficiency of the board meetings run well and engage the directors and management in the right discussions. And, you know, the the time spent by management on it helps them think through the issues uh, in a way that uh, helps focus the discussion. And you mentioned the concept of a memo on the front of the, of the materials. I found that to be very, very helpful. Uh, it allows the CEO to communicate what's top of mind, what are the areas that need to be focused on, and also to cover the more routine matters like performance management. And so by the time the directors get to the board meeting, the topics of discussion that need to be had are very, very clear. And it takes an investment of time by the directors to to really spend time with the materials, and I would say that that amount of time is actually increasing, which is which I think is a good thing because uh, it then allows for more dialogue in the meeting versus slide presentations.
3: Yeah, and I think as we talked about in the meeting. The directors have to come prepared. There is no room for not doing the pre-read and, and really spending the time to understand what's, what's going on in the business and what the topics are. And the CEO memo, as you talked about, where the CEO really outlines their thoughts on the business, but also what are the two, three, or four things that they really want to get out of the meeting that day? And, and by the time you get to the meeting, it's less about presentation, and hopefully you're not even really looking at the slides, but it is about the conversation and, and really talking about those various you know important topics. I
2: think it also links to spending actually more time uh, in general uh, in being a director. Uh, We've seen that going up uh, over the last uh, five, ten years. Uh, And on average, we see now across all ownership types and across geographies uh, and industries, we see that boards are spending, or board directors are spending approximately 32, 33 days per year in total, uh, including uh, committee work and preparations, but I, that is, and I think you mentioned Stephen that that was almost the minimum uh, required, uh, which I, I find interesting. Um, when we compare publicly listed boards uh, versus, for example, private equity boards, we typically see that the boards on private equity uh, um, uh, private equity uh, uh, owned entities typically spend almost twice the amount of time compared to publicly listed uh, boards, which I find interesting. Again, uh, taking into account the amount of preparations required, the amount of committee work, the amount of uh, of board meetings, which are required to tackle all the challenges we see today.
0: Yeah, and the challenges that we see today aren't going away. There's just going to be new ones. And so I think that the time required by a director is actually going to increase. And so I think directors need to keep in mind that commitment of time that's going to be required as they think about their other commitments. And where in the past it may it made sense to sit on three, maybe four boards as a retired uh, executive, I think that needs to be rethought. And maybe one to two boards is more practical.
3: Well, and especially when there's some kind of crisis, the time goes up exponentially. And, and so you really have to make sure that you have the availability to, to be ready um, and to be available to the management team. Um, because... You know, there's always some some new unexpected thing happening lately that uh, isn't in the board calendar, um, and so you've got to make sure that you have the time, particularly if you're on you know audit committee or some of these other more regulated committees.
2: I, I think also I think it was an interesting discussion on how do you not only preparing for each single board meeting, but how do you sort of upskill uh, the board as such? How do you think uh, a bit more innovatively uh, around onboarding of new board directors? I think one participant had been uh, in in, uh, her company, they had been filming team sessions with uh, single business leaders talking about how supply chain uh, was operating their company, how the finance function worked, how each of the different business areas worked, what were the key strategic topics on the agenda also the basics of the operations Uh, and then they filmed that and they uh, ensured that every new board director would uh, go through those sessions they also used it for onboarding of other people in the organization but I thought that that was a a good example of just thinking a bit creatively around how do we actually upskill our board directors to fundamentally understand the business so that we can have more effective discussions in the when we are together in the boardroom.
3: Sure. So I, I think onboarding is critical. And I think every board needs to continuously be looking at their onboarding process um, as they continue to evolve. But I also think uh, the ongoing training and getting getting your hands into the business doesn't mean obviously doing a job there, but making sure, are you going out to the sites or whatever the relevant thing is for that business? Because I think just sitting in the boardroom and having the management team come in is fine for a part of the time, but you don't really get a sense of what's happening on the ground and getting to talk to the employees who aren't in the boardroom every day and really hearing about what's working, what's not working for them, how the customers are perceiving the business and so forth, I think is really important to keep that education going.
0: Yeah. And I've seen what I think is a really good practice of, as part of the onboarding exercise, having uh, the new director come into the headquarters of the company for a day or two and be able to spend one-on-one time with each of the different disciplines, you know, the functional disciplines, the business leaders, and be able to ask those questions that they may not feel comfortable asking in a board meeting, but asking them in a private session and really accelerating the learning process. And, uh, You know, one of the things I found is boards taking the time to actually do site visits, having board meetings at local sites, not only allows the boards to learn more about the company, but it also lets them engage with frontline leadership and really understand the culture of the company. And I found this to be very, very, very effective.
2: I I think one observation we see at least is that, um, or one mechanic, is to invite in a bit of a broader spectrum of talent into the board sessions. So going beyond the the classic CFO, uh, CHRO, chief strategy, um, in addition to the CEO, but also uh, seeing talent a bit further down in the organization in order to get the a better sense for what's the talent bench strength uh, in the company. At least I've seen some boards doing that more than historically.
3: Absolutely. I think that is a big change. And I think there has to be a lot of trust between the board and the management team. If there's not, right, there's there's probably a much bigger issue somewhere, whether it's the com- composition of the board or, or the management team.
1: Those were great points about not spending all of one's time in the boardroom and also taking the time to connect more deeply with others in the business. Let, let's talk a bit more about the board's role in helping develop talent. Karen, I wanna follow up on something you said earlier about peer-to-peer coaching with individual executives. Can you elaborate on how that's worked for you?
3: In one of my boards, for example, we mentor a number of the executives. Uh, each one of us has has mentees. And then we also get involved in individual strategic projects if they need help on something or somewhere that we can provide specific advice and, and support to them. And it's just a very open collaboration, um, which I don't think a lot of boards typically had when when things were a little bit more structured and more formal. Uh, but I think the way you get the best value out of your board is really by having that kind of relationship. So, I mean, specifically uh, with one of my boards, uh, we are asked to mentor specific individuals in, in the management team the person that I mentor is actually not a finance person, um, but it's a young woman who's coming up through the organization and she wanted some outside support. Um, They have formal coaching programs, but this is a much more informal. uh, And so she and I meet routinely and talk about whatever's on her mind and thoughts as she's continuing to grow as a leader and as her team continues to develop. And it's a very informal structure, but it's what works for her and, and for us. And then in terms of getting more involved in strategic projects. So, for example, one of my boards recently has been looking at uh, their services or their IT organization. And because I come from the services background, uh, their CIO had reached out to me and asked for some help on some specific things that they were considering with their team that related to my background. And so I've been working with them on how they might think about implementing some changes in their organization.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, part of this, too, is the concept of the board's role in, performance and talent management. And historically, the board's role had been focused on the CEO succession. But what I think you see today is that it goes down a level or two into the organization. And the board's engaging with level one and two line organizations, on a, not, not on a regular basis, but on a recurring basis, which allows the, there to be some uh, interaction for, the, for those individuals to the board, but also for the board to assess the talent capabilities within the organization
2: then maybe adding to that uh, which we also discussed uh, in the session now is of course there is a very sensitive balance uh, in a way for the board of directors having a point of view as you say on the uh, on the capability the strength of the capabilities in the organization and whether the ceo in the case of the management team has assessed whether this person is the best thinkable option for the company, both externally and internally, given the importance of the role. I think that stress testing of uh, choices the board should be allowed to do, but not necessarily having a point of view on is it person A or is it person B, because that should continue
1: to be a CEO responsibility. So do you all find that mentoring executives below the CEO and helping to shape the future executive suite should become a standard part of board members' roles?
3: I think in some ways it is, right? Because I think talent has become such a risk issue for organizations. And so I think the board does need to have some insight into the next layer or two, right? As you think about succession planning, not just for the CEO potentially, but for other uh, key executives. And also I find it helpful. Um, I think it helps me as a board member see how the CEO thinks about talent, right? and, and, when there's potentially been an issue where maybe the board didn't think the, an executive was maybe the right person, but the, if the CEO really believed in that person and said, "I'm going to come back, I'm going to work with this person, I'll come back to you," and we've seen some amazing things come out of that, or in other cases they said, "Oops, nope, I have to make a change," and, and I think it's helpful for the board to understand how how the CEO thinks about that.
2: I think it also links pretty closely to culture, uh, where the board is becoming more responsible uh, or expected to to have a responsibility. And we've seen multiple corporate failures and and, uh, cultural scandals, you could say, across the globe where some of the say failures have been attributed to parts of the corporate culture where the board should have been aware uh, or or at least have been accused of of, uh, that they should have been aware and they should have effectively managed the cultural aspects. And in order to manage culture, you have to be engaged and you have to have visibility towards the talent and you have to be, you can't only rely on the management team. You have to have your antennas further down into the organization in order to gorge
0: the culture. And it is also very valuable for succession planning. You know, typically companies will have internal potential candidates for CEO succession. So spending time with those folks is a very vital part of CEO succession planning as well.
1: Indeed. So we've talked about how the board can help develop future leaders in the organization, but what about the board developing its own capabilities. In your session, you referred to a learning board, one that infuses perspectives from outside the company into its discussions and decisions. How common has that really become and how are boards executing on that? At least
2: from my vantage point, I see more often than before that boards are inviting in. It could be experts or just Getting in other points of view on geopolitics from leading thinkers around that, or from companies around again AI uh, who are specialising on that, and you actually get it in, and you do basically capability building session within the board, but with external perspectives into the boardroom.
0: Yeah, I've I've seen that, and I think that's a very good practice. One one additional comment I would make is I've seen. Boards bring in both buy-side and sell-side analysts into the board meeting. You can't forget the ultimate job of the board is we represent the shareholders. And so having the shareholder perspective brought in, not only to the board, but to the management team, is invaluable. And so having the buy-side and the sell-side talk about how they value the company, their perspectives from the outside looking in, where they think there's opportunities, can be very enlightening to both management and the board.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's great. I think it's great learning for the management team too if you can bring a broader part of the management team to those meetings because they're not typically in the investor meetings. They may listen to the call, but they're not sitting in the one-on-ones and, and hearing it directly. Um, and I think that's great learning. And then to your point about the the more formal education, that's something we do at least once a year. where We'll bring in an outside speaker on a topic, whatever's relevant uh, for that period. But, uh, but that's been a great way to help develop the board.
2: You, you even see some boards are going... Very far, and many years ago, we interviewed a chair uh, who every third year uh, brought in uh, an external view on the strategy of the company, basically had a red team, blue team approach to to the core strategy, where the management team developed their three-year strategy or perspective on on the strategic uh, priorities for the company, for the board, and then the board would Get another a third party outside of the company to develop the same, just to in the strategy offsite collide the two perspectives into uh, almost a collision workshop where they collided the views of the outside perspective versus the management inside perspective and use that as a mechanism to, to get. Very good discussions. Of course, that you can only do if you have sufficient trust between the the chair and the board and, uh, and the management team. But I, I thought it was a, a sort of provocative, uh, at least way to to get to uh, to real good discussions.
1: Got it. All right. Quick question: If someone came up to you and said, "I've been invited to join a board," what's the first advice that you would give them? I think the first
0: question i would ask a a potential director is why do you want to be on the board it's not about remuneration you know the amount of hours spent relative to the amount of compensation is not really material you really want to make an impact on the company and so that's something i would focus on first is really understanding their intention of why they're joining the board
3: yeah i also think why do they want you on the board right? Do you understand what your what specific role they, they want you to play? And, and what is it about your background that cr- creates value for this organization? And frankly, do you like, do you respect the people? Do you respect the management team members that you've met? Do you respect the other board members? You're going to spend a lot of time with these people. And do you, do you like them? And do you want to spend time with them? And, and are you willing to make the commitment to do that uh, I think is is very important. To your point, the money will never, uh, never cover off on, on the time. And this is not a one or two year commitment. You have to be willing to make this commitment for several years um, and go into it. I always think about it as a 10 year sort of commitment uh, may end up being more or less, but I think about it in that term and are these people that I'm going to want to spend the next 10 years with.
2: It needs to be impact, as you say. It needs to be people you want to spend time with. It needs to be learning opportunities and self-development and exploring new, new arenas and building your network uh, also. So I think those aspects of being a board director is probably becoming even more important uh, as the, uh, the piling on uh, of topics on the board agenda is continuing to, incre-
1: to increase. Thanks. So you'd confirm that the specific board requirements are a good fit with your skills, and that you're excited to make that longer term commitment. And during your session today, what did you find people were most interested in discussing? What were some of the themes that got the most questions and engagement? Board
2: management dynamics, and how do you create sort of a good team dynamic in the boardroom? How do you create this, again, value adding dynamic where, where the management teams feel that the board of directories really add value to them uh, as sparring partners um, on key topics on their agenda Uh, and I think also as board directors and many of the participants were both management team members and board directors in different companies, how do you again, create an arena for real discussion? How do you create time for having the right uh, discussions uh, to focus on some of the key strategic challenges relative to compliance? So I think those were some of the topics, um, probably
1: others. And what were some of your suggestions?
3: So I think some of these things like having a separate committee to focus on either specific topics, so you get it out of the, what I would call the regulatory committees, so the comp, the audit, nom and gov, right? But but creating a standalone committee that can flex as the CEO needs um, was one we talked about some of the mentoring and, and other things where they're using board members one-on-one time management. There was a big concern from some of the CEOs in the room, right? About how do they manage the time of their management team if the board wants to interface. And um, So we talked a lot about how you you know try to do that so that it's the CEO and the management team getting what they need as much as the board getting what it needs. But really, this is about getting the management team what they need to be successful.
0: I think, you know, one of the challenges with these subcommittees and the one-on-ones is there has to be trust at the board level. And there has to be communication back to the board once these one-on-ones have occurred and once these small subcommittees have interacted with the management team.
3: Yeah, I think that's so key that we talked about, right? There has to be this trust factor because the board can't be in every meeting uh, and shouldn't be. But you have to trust each other then to to let individual board members be bring their best to the board.
0: And that's a competency or behavior that's relatively new, as you mentioned. It's it's historically that wasn't the case. You know, it would typically be a full board involved in each discussion. So it, it is an evolving trend. I think what was
2: another interesting discussion was uh, or or at least question that was raised was what can the CEO uh, do relative to creating the boundary conditions for the board to be effective or to actually add value Uh, and uh, at least from our observation uh, point uh, we see that perhaps too many CEOs are a bit too cautious or, or too careful with uh, stating what they need uh, in order to uh, to get value from the board. So, uh, for example, in terms of composition, uh, again, uh, where you have arenas to be clear on what you need into the NOMCO or to Uh, to the chair, uh, what are the capabilities that would be most useful for you as a CEO to have on the board of directors for them to be good sparring partners for you and your team, uh, or being clear what is the role that I as a CEO would wish the board to have when it comes to strategy development or talent development or culture or risk or uh, governance or other topics. uh, uh, Basically, it, it turns a bit uh, upside down the, the sort of best practice governance you could say because the board i mean it's the owners and the chair and the board who sets the parameters and the management sort of uh, i wouldn't say obeys but they need to to relate to that so so there is probably a, a natural sort of starting point for that at the same time uh, i do think um, uh, that more ceos uh, could be clearer uh, just stating again, what would they require as boundary conditions for the management team to get value from the board?
0: I think one of the roles they play too is finding a way to get good feedback to each individual director about their performance. Uh, Karen, I think you had a good example of, of one of the practices on one of your boards.
3: Yeah, you know, so as part of our external board assessment. You know, one of the things we do is whoever we're using to do the assessment does a full assessment of, each individual board member plus the management team is allowed to provide feedback. And, and then we're given that individual feedback uh, anonymously. And it, it's great because you really do get to learn as a, how you're performing as a board member and where you're adding value and how people perceive you in meetings and so forth. And, uh, and it's been very helpful, I think, for all of us as board members.
1: You mentioned earlier that boards are taking more active roles in helping to shape strategy is that one of the boundary conditions you were talking about? Is the line shifting? I think
0: an excellent point is where is the line between management and the board? Um, You know, we talked about the board being a catalyst, but at the end of the day, management's accountable for the strategy, for the operations of the company, and for the delivery of results. And the board's responsible for overseeing the way management goes about doing that and the processes and controls around it. And I I think as we get more engaged and get more involved, like we've talked today, we've got to keep that line in mind.
2: I fully agree to the line. Uh, and then it is, I guess, we're moving on a spectrum from being oriented mainly towards control and compliance, historically at least, towards becoming a better sparring partner really for the board but not taking over accountability as you say so there is a clear delineation on that but we do see that many boards uh, and management teams could uh, benefit from delineating uh, a bit uh, in the current environment Where where is this line and in the strategy process How do we split up uh, or or how do we collaborate uh, effectively when it comes to risk? Uh, What is the role of the board? What is the role of the management team and the CEO? And how do you delineate? Again, And many boards and management teams haven't done that for the, I mean, maybe never done it or they haven't done it for many years. Uh, And that has changed. And it's probably wise to do it again.
3: Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, you have to make sure your charters and your policies are robust. Unfortunately, obviously you can't. Policy everything, <laughs> so there was a little bit of an art to this and, and a balance. But uh, but I do think it's something, that's certainly on the, the boards that I'm on, that we are sensitive to and try to pay attention to.
1: Is the board's approach to this different in different places around the world? In Switzerland, for example, I understand that strategy oversight is actually an explicit board responsibility, but it's not in many other jurisdictions, including the U.S.
2: Yeah, I, I think i think it's a it's a good question uh, since strategy is uh, or it differs between jurisdictions whether strategy is a core responsibility of the board as such or whether it's a, a responsibility of the management where the board has the oversight that said if we look across the globe i would say say we observe convergence in terms of how boards are getting involved in strategy whether it's uh, irrespective i would say of the underlying uh, regulation or expectation to the board so we do see boards are getting much deeper engaged uh, uh, continuously on strategy so we are moving beyond the annual strategy offsite and you deal with strategy once a year into having strategy at every single board meeting I, I think you mentioned some really good examples of how you're thinking about that in some of your companies
0: yeah you know I think uh, in each quarterly board meeting we have one of the businesses present their strategy and so that we're not just having one three-day offsite strategy discussion once a year where you're trying to absorb the entire strategy of the entire company as well as all the businesses instead of having them on a rolling cycle and so that each board meeting we get to hear from a different business leader which is good not only for the board but it's good for the business leader to have exposure to the board as well
1: indeed and that's a great conclusion for our discussion as well Stephen, Fritchoff and Karen, thank you all so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us on the podcast today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. We'd welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts. And our email is itsr at That stands for Inside the Strategy Room. You can also share your ratings and reviews on any podcast player with many thanks to everyone who's already done so. We really appreciate all of your comments and feedback. Please do keep them coming. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to subscribe, you can follow our weekly series on any podcast player, where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. We also offer an Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page available at mckinsey.com slash ITSR, where you can also easily browse our prior podcasts across six major themes and also access written transcripts of all of those conversations. Finally, if you'd like to automatically receive our latest publications and insights, we encourage you to sign up for email alerts on our insights page at McKinsey.com SCF for strategy and corporate finance, or follow us on Twitter or X at MCK strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey strategy and corporate finance practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the strategy room.